the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Math and the Physics podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I am Ray, and we welcome you to an episode. No, wait, it's episode 30. 30, the big 3-0. Today, we're going to be talking about something pretty interesting. We're going to be talking about an idea, just two people talking, on how physics could have been invented. So hold your horses. Sorry? We're not starting just yet. Oh. We did just recently hit... 10,000 downloads. Let's go. No way. Clapping sounds in the background. Clapping sounds in the background. After how many? Oh, wait. Today we started the, we posted our first episode the May 9th. So it's been how many months since we started? Because it's October 9th today. Oh, that's crazy. Today is the day. Wait. Is today the day? Wait. (laughs) We're not sure. We're not sure. It's been five months since we started. Okay, it's been five months since we started. I think that's pretty exactly. crazy. To be honest, um, I, I mentioned this on our Instagram post. So if you guys are listening and not following our Instagram, go follow it at Math and Physics Podcast, at math.physics.podcast, where basically Parker and I thought that we would reach 10K by the start of 2021 when we began the podcast. And not even well, the start. We thought it was going to be like March. Well, yeah, to be honest, we thought it was going to be like almost next year. But here because we back have it in, in the October, day, reaching 10,000 downloads. I think that's pretty insane. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to everyone. Because back in like when we first started, we were getting like 1,000 uh, downloads per month. So we're like, yeah. okay, 10 months from now, we're going to be at uh, 10,000. That made sense back in the day. Yeah. Were we wrong? But, you know. Also, it's, uh, as I was saying, number of episodes as well. Now we're going to be, as we have kind of, come into this weekly schedule i think it's kind of nice so we should be very consistent now yeah so yeah it'll be good it'll be very good also one more thing i was listening to an older episode of the podcast it was episode number 19 this was alien math okay so this was 11 episodes ago um i had announced in the beginning of the episode that we just hit 120 followers on spotify and uh well, fast forward 11 episodes slash 11 weeks, we're at 759 followers wow, that's, that's, on that's crazy. Spotify. That is crazy. So yes, thank you to everybody that's been following the podcast and listening crazy. and all of Absolutely. that stuff. We love talking about physics and we love talking about math. Mm-hmm. And uh, our goal is just to spread the knowledge yeah. of these topics and so next episode is actually going to be a 10k q and a special episode so yep. if you guys want to leave com- uh leave comments, comments or questions. your questions you can leave them uh either like youtube the youtube comment section or on our instagram which uh ray already said it's math.physics.podcast you can email us at uft.math.physics at gmail.com anyways all of the information is going to be in the description so yep so thank you to everybody absolutely 10k q a coming up that's right and we're very excited to hit 1000 followers oh not, not, not just yet but hopefully soon yeah, probably in the next 
like i would say one month one easily, month you think so? easily within one month because we've we've been getting 200 followers every two weeks oh discussing stats with the audience i like this yeah. <laughs> i like this <laughs> which is pretty cool so we're very open people <laughs> yeah definitely within uh the next month so that's so let's see okay cool. i mean our goal to reach 1000 is before next year I, th- that's our goal because i definitely. think i mean to be honest we didn't really expect hitting 1000 in this year but now that we're decently close i think we can smell mm-hmm. it so we can i think it's <laughs> safe to say that hopefully if everything goes as planned and it, so far it is we should hit it by the end of this year i think okay I guess we've wasted enough of your day. <laughs> so let's actually get started. Into let's get into this the episode. podcast. So inventing physics. Yep. Why Why is physics so natural? Oh. I guess is one of the questions I wanted to, to answer. Because in essence, physics itself, or I guess classically, mm-hmm. physics is just, you know, a bunch of, bunch of symbols on a paper that just describe observations of the physical world i guess that's why it's called physics after all you know physical we say we say okay the heavier an object is the harder it is to accelerate right so there has to be some relation between the mass and the acceleration and and this 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 force that we need to Mm -hmm. to accelerate the mass I don't know if that was like circular reasoning or whatever, but, but, you know, we made observations mm-hmm. and we wrote them down in a way that can be easily manipulated, AKA, you know, using the language of math to write down these relationships. Mm-hmm. I think math like was a way. very big, very big help in the invention of physics um yes. <laughs> definitely in very very in, in, an integral part of math that was a mm-hmm. joke <laughs> integral part of physics <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry sorry what i meant is math is an integral part of physics sorry that's what i meant yeah, yeah so i just think math as a language itself as we've spoken about it before is definitely helps us describe these observations right and the the entire class of the entire classification of physics just depends on as you very well said experimentation and observing these experimentations the entire point of science technically we can kind of broaden the spectrum here is to be able to experiment on something conduct a certain experiment and that experiment should be able to be repeated by any number of people anywhere in the world with the mm-hmm. same conditions of course so the entire point is of science why is basically to convey your idea to multiple people. And hopefully, if that idea is correct, multiple people will start using it in their daily lives as what we call laws, right? Laws mm-hmm. of science. Laws. And, this, is, yeah. this is why postulates and mm-hmm. theorems... Axioms. That, yeah, they state some kind yeah. of relationship that has yet to be contradicted, mm-hmm. right? And that's what is so powerful about these statements is that they have yet to be yeah. proven wrong. Like, but yeah, thing so, is, mm-hmm. a theorem is a theorem, right? It's exactly. been it's been pr- proven. It's been repeatedly trialed, mm-hmm. tested, mm-hmm. and it has stood the test of time. But to be but, honest, we never on, really on, know on, what can happen in the future. Yeah, be, right? because because in the future, 
if of course you know we discover something crazy like you know quantum mechanics but the quantum mechanics of the future oh you know that just breaks quantum mechanics it's itself mm-hmm. you know some some things are going to be proven wrong that we thought could never actually be wrong yeah what i'm trying to say uh with this with this whole discussion is that and this is going to get a little bit philosophical <laughs> but basically as an individual you experience life through your eyes and your own you know silent monologue in your head and you know of course you have you have sensory inputs and you know one of the biggest assets you have is your memory being able to remember things that happened in the past but in reality you you don't really know for sure that the physical world is real you know what like what tells you that atoms actually exist the only thing that actually tells you that atoms exist are people at school that say you know the world is made up of these small little particles that you can't see but that's just how it is why because we have experiments that that show you that it's the case mm-hmm. right you you could never tell or not that you can't tell but just using your naked eye and you know your hands and your ears you can never actually tell that atoms exist that's true but with the tools and and you know the the what am i trying to say the 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 group not the group but the 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 massive knowledge that has been acquired throughout the years of just scientific uh advancements using using all of that you can then conclude that some things do in fact exist like mm-hmm. black holes for example you know but, or neutron uh, and stars the interesting thing though about a lot of these experiments is that sometimes a lot of the times actually the theoretical part of it or the theory is developed before the experiment but sometimes which is actually very interesting to see where you observe something and then make a relationship to satisfy the observation so there are kind of two ways to go about uh kind of writing quote unquote writing a law or a theory where you can either observe something happening and then write down something that makes sense of that event mm. or you can think of a theoretical model and then search for the rest of your life for if that model exists and that was actually most of physics where yeah, special I mean, relativity general relativity einstein didn't have ways to look at light they didn't have ways to measure the speed of light like experimentally the only yeah, thing did. he could do is jot his ideas down on paper and that theoretical model from paper is what helped us to then discover and then experiment and then observe all of these different natural phenomena and so the mm-hmm. theory sometimes a lot of the times helps or sometimes causes the experiment to be observable or at least for us to understand mm. it you know yeah i think one of the most incredible things about general relativity is being able to visualize these ideas because you know the curvature of space-time is not something that's just you know easily representable mm-hmm. like a graph on a on a whiteboard 
you know, but the idea that that four dimensional curvature is something that that we're living in right now yeah. is just absolutely mind blowing. But, yeah. you know, that it, it, it is what it is. You know, it's a exactly. it's a it's a it's a quote unquote fact yep. of, of of reality the universe. Yeah, of the, of, of the universe. And but, I think a lot yeah. of times for a lot of people uh, who have like, you know, questions about these theories, questions about these laws. And, and, and you know, a, lo a lot of high school teachers either don't know or just don't really care about explaining it. So a lot of the times, mm -hmm. as you just said, you know, they just said it is what it is. That's just the law. Just learn it. <laughs> but, you know, the people who actually want to understand the law and, and, and those people are very interesting people, in my opinion, because those are the people that actually want to get behind what is happening in the law and why it makes sense. And I think that itself is more important than just knowing that this thing exists. And that is why mm -hmm. making, like, for example, general relativity, we learn it in a master's level course or usually PhD, right? But Einstein, it took him 10 years of Wait, straight work. Wait, that's not work. accurate. Sorry? That's not, that's not accurate. You can... You, there's a general relativity course in uh, yeah yeah See, no I mean it technically is an undergrad but it's like focused on in masters no no but what I'm trying yeah. to get at is that we can do it in like a year we can do a general relativity course in a year yeah. right but yeah. Einstein took ten years just for a uh, general remember you're also adding special because technically it has a lot of parts about special as well yeah. so you're taking you're taking like fifteen <laughs> years that's a, a lot of part of your life and to also he's, out he's way smarter than a yeah, lot of exactly. a lot of he's people so studying it right people. now that fifteen years for him is like you know a lifetime for most other people mm. you know yeah what I think is kind of kind of crazy is that um there's like there's two pillars, wait, correct me if I'm wrong, but like in in the current modern description of the world or the universe, there's mm -hmm. like two pillars, right? There's general relativity and quantum mechanics. Yeah. Right? Take in one man came up with ha like one whole pillar, right? <laughs> like one one dude came up with general relativity. That's true. And then <laughs> There, there are a lot, a lot of people that have worked on quantum, quantum mechanics. mechanics, right? Very like, many. Like, like Einstein himself, right? He was. Well, he Einstein was actually of, rejected the idea of quantum mechanics. Yeah, but he was part of like the discussion, right? Like, he yeah, was he was part that, of the discussion in the sense that he would be like, "It's not real." <laughs> like that's but, the way no, no, he would no, participate no. in the discussion. In, in a sense, no. In a sense, he contributed because photoelectric effect, right? Well, yeah. I mean, as well okay, as sure, quantizing, sure, of course, of course. quantizing the energy of, 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 of photons. Course. So he contributed to the world of quantum mechanics, but mm -hmm. also, you know, uh, Schrodinger off of the top of my head. Dirac. You know, Dirac uh, Niels uh, Bohr. Niels Bohr. Young, also his. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even even going back Michael to. Michael Morley, both of them. <laughs> back, back to the time where quantum mechanics wasn't even a thing. Uh, Huygens, you know, the, one of the dudes that did the double slit experiment. Yeah. You know, back then they had no idea what light really was yeah that's that because because how do you study light right like like i want you to sit in a room with a light bulb and tell me what light <laughs> is you know like how would it's, you be able to generalize what is either hitting you or reflecting not, from something it's not like doable yeah like or at least by us i mean it was doable it was done <laughs> by maxwell yeah but <laughs> no but technically yeah um technically yeah it, it was done but not just you know 
with with people like individually staring at a wall you know or i mean yeah it's all about theory it's all about papers it's all about you know it's it's all about the math you can't really grasp the physical well technically now we can i should say that but like back then you couldn't really grasp the physical idea of an electromagnetic wave right yeah but think about um like you said um before when when they were doing the double slit experiment like what would you conclude from that you'd say okay um light is a wave but see and then i mean i don't think oh i mean it it all depends you know like if you were to give me the double slit experiment and never tell me anything about it like no knowledge the fact that light is a wave or anything right or like a general human being or like a general scientist i should say actually Mm-hmm. Um, would they be able to discern that light is a wave? That's an interesting question. Well, not like because not without like tools. Yeah, because see, because the experiment gives an interference effect, but the entire idea of interference effects comes up with the knowledge that something is a wave. So I guess if you had ideas of what waves are and how waves behave and how waves interfere and you saw this interference pattern on the screen, then okay, well, of I would course, guess if you, that you would if be you able to know, deduce it as a wave. If you don't know what waves are mathematically, yeah, then, then you wouldn't I really, really make anything don't of, know what you would do. <laughs> well, no. Obviously, it requires some, mm-hmm, of course. some level of understanding. Of but when you get to that point, obviously, you need you know, to set up the double slit experiment itself you need to know something about physics. No one's just going to randomly put double two slits on a thing and be like, oh, look, an interference pattern. <laughs> like, that's not really how it happens. Yeah. Um, other than that, yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, notation Oh, as well. We can talk about a little because... more experiments if you want before we get into there. Sure, yeah. Like, um, when we're talking about the invention of physics... Right. I'm just thinking about like different ex- uh, experiments, for example, like the one we were discussing in class the other day. Right. And the one we were discussing before this, the Michelson Morley experiment. So mm-hmm. for those of you that don't know, the Michelson Morley experiment was OK. I, I don't actually know when it was done. It was pretty long <laughs> ago, though, I believe, because the conception of light was very different back then, because what people thought it was that light propagated through a medium. Right. And that medium was called the ether. So back in, uh, once again, I'm not exactly sure. Parker, can you like search it up? What year yeah. the Michelson Morley experiment was done? Yeah, you said you said conception of light, by the way, but it's perception. Perception. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. the, the perception of light. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, so they thought that basically the universe consisted of this eternal eternal thing everywhere called it the ether, and the only way that light propagated was through the ether because obviously it's 1887. people. Sorry. 1887. 1887. Yeah, so people mm-hmm. really didn't know that light goes in vacuums, travels in vacuums. They didn't really know that that existed. They didn't know that light can travel in various different types of mediums. So they suggested the idea of an eternal medium called the ether. So the Michelson-Morley experiment is a basic interferometer where, and, and we did discuss this in the quantum mechanics episode, so that's awesome. So it's a basic interferometer where we're measuring the light that's traveling in a perpendicular and a parallel direction. 
Now, if the ether exists everywhere, they suggested the idea that the ether is constantly moving in a singular direction. So if this is true, then the perpendicular and parallel light rays should have a interference pattern because they won't be coming in at the exact same time, right? And you should detect some light in the interferometer. However, after repeated trials of the experiment, the light always returned at the exact same time. Noting and, and, and therefore kind of not exactly proving, but hopefully making them understand that light doesn't need a medium to travel through. And it travels the same speed in the same medium wherever you are in the universe. So that was a pretty cool experiment, too, that I felt like we should talk about. Yeah, it's pretty dope. <laughs> but I want to make like these episodes less uh, like less technical, you know, so more people can actually understand it. I guess that's true, but I mean, we did speak about interferometers, I think, pretty decently in the quantum mechanics episode, right? Yeah, like, but obviously, like, that's that's also an episode about quantum yeah, mechanics. Yeah, that's true. You know, so. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. That is very true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, moving on to... Notation. Notation. Yeah. I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, not really understanding mathematics, but kind of understanding why math looks how it looks okay in a sense so for example um you know or i guess not maybe not but uh we denote functions right i'm i'm gonna assume that everyone know what a func what a function is okay usually we denote a function like f uh f of something f of some variable mm -hmm. is equal to some some value some right? value or some function or something like that right yeah well the function would be equal to a function well right? yeah i mean the function can <laughs> it outputs a function is what i meant like the, right. it equals an output right. yeah uh so what i'm trying to say is that why do some people prefer some symbols over other symbols or, you know, some way of writing an expression over another way. Because in a sense, it's, it's arbitrary, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just a, a marking mm -hmm. with a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, for example, you know, an, an example of, of notation that we, we learn in school, we learn both versions, right? There's the uh, Leibniz notation Leibniz. for yeah. Leibniz. I don't know. I, don't I think, know. <laughs> anyways. So... <laughs> This is to um, to write like a derivative, which is just the instantaneous rate of change of a function. You would write uh, d f, which is f is the function. So a small change in the function d f, and then divided by d x. Let's say it just depends on the variable you're using. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we have d d f over d x, but you know what does that really mean why why are we using mm -hmm. four letters to <laughs> represent something that could be you know written as one letter you know for example f prime which is newtonian notation i believe oh is, is that, that what it's called i think i think newton was using the prime notation and leibniz was using the dy dx maybe, maybe i'm not not exactly sure but that sounds believable because i don't think newton used leibniz notation so no they were kind of beefing at the yeah time. they were they were fully beefing at that moment because <laughs> everyone was like who invented calculus was it newton was it leibniz 
no. Yeah. <laughs> and the I don't think there is a consensus on that still, right? A lot of people Not kind of really. ignore Leibniz because Newton is just this Newton this is just God. a bigger bigger scientist. Just more yeah, political power, done... more power as a scientist in general. Yeah, he's more recognized. Yeah, but, exactly. But there is definitely an argument to be made about Leibniz because he is like, like if you look at the actual things that he's done, th- there's he kind of has a case for, for you know, him inventing calculus. The only the only problem is, really, who did it first? Well, Newton which... started with integral calculus, did he not? Yes, I'm pretty sure he did, right? And I think that's like some fact I heard somewhere. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he started like he literally developed integral calculus at like age 25 or 26 or something like that. <laughs> that's crazy to think about. <laughs> by is, the way, that is insane. <laughs> just, just think about you. You invent a literal language of math before you turn 30. Yeah. Like that, that is itself crazy. is insane. Anyways, <laughs> so <laughs> apart from that, um, yeah. yeah. So Newton. I'm pretty sure started with integral calculus and Leibniz. Well, mm. he probably didn't, right? Cause his entire notation forms from a derivative. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm assuming oh, yeah, Leibniz did not use integrals. We're deviating right now. From, yeah. We're deviating from I mean, the we're whole just, point. We're, we're still talking about notation. We're just talking <laughs> yeah, about like, yeah. you know, different types of notation. Cause I think like yeah. Leibniz, Leibniz notation versus like uh, Newton, like the F prime versus DY over DX. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that itself, like, I mean, that's a pretty big difference because I think DY over DX just represents the function in a much more understandable way. Like, you know, yeah, DF, I, do, I do think it's more descriptive of what's yeah, going exactly, on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, DF is telling you it's a small change in F. DX yeah, is a small people who change don't in know, X. It's understandable. For people who don't know, when you, when you say, like, DX, the D, basically, you know, how, how I remember it, I just think of the D as saying differential. Yeah, that, right? that, but that and, is what it is. Yeah, it is a differential. Well, no, no, it, it doesn't literally mean differential x. No, no, obviously not. But it's the differential of x because yeah. it's a differential is like the difference in it's it's like the difference. The differential yeah. is another way of saying it's the difference between. So no, DX but really, is they like could have used small they could difference. have used any variable. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. But anyways, so so dx means an infinitesimally small increase on the value of x and then you know same goes for whatever you put after the d mm-hmm. and so as we all learned in high school when you have a uh, a linear function just a line to find the rate of change of that line you do rise over run mm-hmm. but since that's just a straight line and the rate of change never changes <laughs> you can take any two points on that line and then do the the difference y in y, y divided by the difference of x. The class. So right, rise over run. Yep. But when your your function, your relationship is a little bit more complicated, you need to you know study the instantaneous rate of change. And so the only way to do that is if well, instead of taking the you know the change in y over the change in x over some some long interval, you just you approach those two, that that interval basically to zero, and you see, you take an an infinitesimally small change in y, and then you divide that by an infinitesimally small change in x, 
And then to actually describe that, you know, I think it's kind of unfortunate that there are that there's an easy way out yeah. for derivatives. Like, yeah, you know, they're, I they're, was actually just, just going to talk about the fact that how the derivative laws just kind of yeah. breaks the whole conception and just makes yeah. us think in computation, you right. know, which is kind of like, sad. Like d- the derivative is, is telling you, you know, a property about the function at some point. But, you know, it, not sadly, of course, this is an advantage to have these these formulas that can, you know, it's a formula to give you the rate of change of another formula, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But, you know, it's it turns out it's very easy to take derivatives mm-hmm. of functions. Mm-hmm. There, there are rules that you can follow, uh, you know, mm-hmm. by the letter. You just apply the rule and you get the you get the derivative function for the original function. You know, I think a little bit a little bit on the bright side is that this kind of makes integration, which is the opposite of differentiation. You know, if you have a curve describing the rate of change of a function, you can then integrate to get a family of functions that is described by that derivative. Mm -hmm. And I say family of functions because you may notice that the rate of change of a constant function is zero. And so if you add any constant function to another function and take the derivative, it'll be the same, yep. right? So so the family of functions is actually just the same function, but being translated up and down because yeah, it, that has no effect with, yeah, that has no effect with the value of the rate of change at any point X. Mm-hmm. All that to say, <laughs> uh yeah notation notation so, Very we've important. only been talking about like uh notation and calculus but no, you know we yeah. could we could also be talking about like like numbers numbers th- themselves are notation and operations operations yeah. plus minus yeah divisions square roots you know why do we draw like a a square root like uh you know whatever how, how do you describe that <laughs> Like That's a check mark. True fact. Why do we like draw a, it like that? Why do we draw it like that? I don't I, know. That I actually don't know. I honestly, I prefer using the the power, like power of one half. Oh yeah. Because it it makes it more natural. I think mm. when you're dealing, you know, you're dealing with squares, cubes. Yeah, yeah. And... Especially when you're dealing with like cube roots inside cube or something like that. Yeah. Like it definitely. Yeah. I to, I totally That's get right. that. Like sometimes it can be a little bit too messy. So, yeah, yeah, but the interesting thing about notation is that all of, like, notation was literally invented to make math easier. Yeah. It was made by us to make things a little bit simpler to understand, a little bit simpler to grasp. In the same way that we have derivative laws, like, why do the laws exist? Because there is no physical way to calculate the value the instantaneous rate of change because again mm-hmm. the denominator approach is zero right that's why we <clears> use the limit and everything and that's where that comes from yeah. but the entire idea of derivatives and laws and the, all these things are mainly just to help out the the understanding or the concept or the the perception of what math can do you know mm-hmm. yeah very true one other aspect to um notation Mm-hmm. Or not really an aspect, I guess, kind of like a, like a facet mm-hmm. is, uh, is something that we learned that we're learning right oh, now. Oh, are you going to talk about? Notation. Oh no! Yeah. In Wait, did you say mechanics. direct notation? 
Yeah, direct yeah, meditation. Yeah, I, th- I thought you said that. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, you. I don't know if you've probably seen it, but you know, if People if you're in the math world, yeah, if you're in the math world, you might have noticed like, mm. like a, a straight line, and then some, some variable, and then a what is that? An angle bracket? Is that how you call it? It's it's like the it's like a greater or equal to sign like that. Yeah, kind of. Basically. Yeah. Anyways, that that's just um, basically instead of writing vectors, mm-hmm. which once again is all notation, right? The, the 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 idea of a column vector and a row vector, they're not actual columns and rows. They're just exactly. it's just a collection just, of numbers exactly. that we happen to arrange vertically mm-hmm. versus horizontally. Mm-hmm. But it's the power in the notation comes from the not the coincidence but the um i'm looking for a very specific word <laughs> it's it's the fact that the the reason why we put them in columns and in rows is because it makes the operations easy like dot products you can just imagine the row going into the column yep. or something exactly or, no sorry the column going into the row no it's the row the column anyways <laughs> oh, yeah anyways <laughs> anyways all that to say is oh yeah convenience that's what i meant to say convenience yes yeah, yes definitely the reason, provides a lot of convenience the reason we have this this powerful notation is because of the convenience mm-hmm. and that i think that's one of the main driving forces that pushes people to choose one type of notation over yeah. the other. And I think that's and, also why a lot of times in high school, when some teachers, you know, say, you can't use that way, you have to use this way. And you're like, why? Yeah, that's math ridiculous. is math. You know? Yeah, that is, but, that is ridiculous. No, even though it is ridiculous, I'm not going to lie. Some, some of the high school teachers are definitely like, you know, you can definitely use certain ways. Like, they're okay. But sometimes there definitely are certain, you know, types of questions that do not require, but if you do it in a certain way, it'll be a lot easier to understand and it'll be a lot easier to answer. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, believe me, even though it sucks to say, okay, I'll change my method to a teacher, sometimes Mm -hmm. it is actually worth it because there are situations where some notation as parker was mentioning is just easier to use than the other even though they mean the exact same thing and there can just Mm -hmm. be advantages and disadvantages for each and for each uh for each different notation right in the same way yeah i have an example of that okay where i was using some kind of notation in high school and i switched it in university but I can't remember <laughs> what it is. But I, I remember thinking about it back in first year. I was like, man, like all of my, in every single one of my classes, they were using this one notation that I wasn't used to. And I just decided, I'm like, okay, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to switch to it. And I, you know, obviously I'm still using it now um, because, you know, it's just a personal preference, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, and that's actually another point. You know, a lot of notation is just personal preference. Because Also, like, I think it's a matter of tradition. With, especially with Dirac notation or Dirac notation, for those of you that have come across it before, you might know that there are two ways of doing it. You can either solve it in Dirac notation or using matrices. And for some people, matrices are easier to use. For some people, Dirac notation is easier to use. So it all just depends on personal preference and what type of question it is. 
and it's all subjective mainly mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm trying to i, I have two conclusions to draw okay, <laughs> okay. first conclusion is this is why if you go and listen back to our alien math episode this is why alien math could literally look like absolutely anything you know because notation is just it's just a personal preference you mm-hmm. know they they could have chosen absolutely anything to represent absolutely anything. exactly exactly Infinite and the second <laughs> yeah the, the the second conclusion i wanted to draw was going circling back to uh inventing physics oh the main where, one main where, conclusion <laughs> where notation has a very big role in inventing physics definitely, because definitely. because it kind of defines how the future people the future <laughs> physicists and mathematicians are going to not i don't want to say develop their ideas but kind of the notation draws a path Mm -hmm. and you know most people just stick to that path and then keep walking in that direction i mean some notations are bad you know like some notations you're just not comfortable with and it might not you know get bigger in the future but some notation for example Dirac notation you know was used to you know help classify quantum mechanics and now it's used Mm -hmm. in almost every single quantum mechanics textbook book lecture and for example also it looks cool <laughs> uh, uh, quantum mechanics for dummies uh, it's a pretty popular book i have it actually also has one of its first chapters explaining bracket notation or bracket notation which is dirac notation right and it just it's a very integral part of quantum mechanics and that's why these notations can somehow suddenly become a very important, like F prime, DF by DX, right? They all become super important when we're talking about calculus and multivariable mm-hmm. calculus, right? So it all depends on the subject I... you're talking about, the field you're talking about, obviously, and if it's actually useful, one notation versus mm-hmm. the other. Yeah, one right. thing that I really want to know is why physicists are so obsessed with greek letters (laughs) i just think because math probably like stemmed from greek what okay i could uh from greece no or like i don't know man. don't think so like wait weren't the greek mathematicians like geniuses like aren't they the guys that did everything i don't think they like made up the like like they, they didn't assign like but lambda see, if to you be think wavelength. about it, right? Math is a language in itself. But if you think about it, that language is kind of Greek. <laughs> you know? It's kind of a Greek language, if you think about it. I mean, I, I, I think I know every single Greek letter now, so that's yeah, cool. <laughs> definitely. I definitely but know like, every single Greek for example, letter, purely from math. For example, why didn't we pick, like, the Chinese alphabet? We would have, like, unlimited... Oh, that's Unlimited true. symbols. That's true. Right? That is right? true. Because, and see, Except and to... unfortunately, because of the lack of symbols with the Greek alphabet, scientists, what scientists love to do, you know, reuse notation. For example, we saw this in our um, a math class very recently where we're talking about projectors, pi projectors. And why use the notation pi? Why? There are so many other things. But obviously, pi is such a famous Greek letter. Use pi for everything. 
So the problem with notation is that sometimes it can get confused. And uh, sorry, sometimes it can get confusing and, and you can mix it up. So be careful of your notation is also an important rule for sure. Yeah. So yeah. this episode okay. is coming up on 40 minutes. Yep. Yep. I think that's a good number. That's I'm a good number. That's a good hungry. number. That was a good podcast. I have pizza waiting for me downstairs. Oh. So that's going to be kind of nice. Oh. Um, thank you everybody for listening to episode number 30. Big three. Make sure oh. to drop. Yeah. Yeah. Drop some questions for Absolutely. the Q&A next week. Uh, we will be answering to probably all of the questions um, yeah yeah absolutely you know? more questions the merrier yeah and i don't know if we're gonna get that many so <laughs> hopefully definitely hopefully you guys ask remember ask we have question instagram you got comments and you have our email address you have everything in the description below so just hit us up on one of them and mm -hmm. we will respond and most like no definitely answer it <laughs> so all right. Okay. This has been uh, episode number 30. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, come back next week, uh, Saturday morning, 10 a.m. We will be here for you, waiting with a discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we will see you soon. See ya.